Abba Yahweh, grace, you bless me again this breath, this day. Guide my steps. Guide my words. Bless whatever scriptures that I share, Father God. You bless that reading. You bless these words, your truth, your knowledge, your wisdom, to brothers and sisters and anyone else out there who would listen, hear your truth. Abba Yahweh Amat, Yeshua Amat, Barakutos Amat. So, I've shared with you so many times, but I'm going to keep sharing, and, and sometimes things get redundant. Well, that's because they bear repeating, and they're important. So, as my teachers used to say, and as I share with you, either don't listen or bear with it, or remember that it's repeated because it bears repeating, and it's repeated because you're liable to find it on a test somewhere. And... Let me share this with you, too, that we are tested all the time, constantly being tested. But I love God's confirmation of his word in various locations in different ways, and sometimes he just brings it on himself to remind me, and, and it's shared in a different way. But I've shared with you, and I've told you before, that they will know that we are Christians by our love. And this is an important aspect of our walking with Jesus. It also is in line with what uh, James was sharing on Sunday and that we are a certain way for a certain reason and that's because we are disciples of Jesus and we are following his guidance in the story of God that we find ourselves in the midst of. We are in the midst of that story. And I I have shared an analogy with some others in line with that. And it, it's and they're like, wow, that's true. That's very true. There is a, a reading that I had done a while ago. And then I went and saw the film. And I actually really like the film. Um, it's called A Never-Ending Story. And... It's a perspective, and I'm not sure of the author. I need, think I need to research this guy and find out about this. Um, but the story is a little boy, and he's reading a story, and then he finds himself in the story. And he thinks he's dreaming, but then it becomes very real. And then there's an issue. And within that story world that he is part of, things start to dismantle and fall apart. And when he finds the, the young princesses in whose care this place is, she explains to him that it's becoming that way because people don't believe anymore. They don't believe. And the sadness is that the reality is here as well. Churches are closing, staying boarded up. People don't gather. And the book of Hebrews talks about that. And that we are to gather because we are a gathering people. The lies, the derisiveness, the hatred that Satan drives 
within us, within the mammon. I'm going to exclude myself from that within us and exclude y'all of that because I'm believing and faithfully believing that my brothers and sisters, if you are claiming to be a Christian, that you are not that way. And if you are, then you better get on your knees and repent for that one. And that is a prayer posture requirement. But Satan drives his derisiveness, his hatred, the separation, the lies, and people stop living. And here's, here's I'm going to remind you again of this, the great falling away, which is foretold in the Bible. And also, yeah, and then there will be those that say, yeah, but God's going to pour out his spirit. Well, here's the thing, that you got to read the Word of God. you got to follow the Word of God. You don't make up things, and you don't think, take things out of context. It says nothing about God will pour out His Spirit at the same time that there's a great falling away and that He's going to correct the great falling away of the churches. It doesn't say that. There's nowhere in the Scripture that it says that it's coinciding with each other. Nothing in the Bible says that. It speaks to them as a separate occasion, a separate occurrence. There will be a great falling away. People are going to walk away from the church because they're not going to believe. They're not going to, they're trying to pay attention to what God's saying, but they're doing it with their finite mind and figure out why he's not responding. So then they get fed up because their finite minds say within their time schedule, their time point, their agenda and everything about them that God's not responding. So they're going to walk away. Just like that pastor did. I shared you that that preacher walked off the stage from behind the podium and said he can't do it anymore because God didn't answer his prayer about the marriage, blah, 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 blah. Here's a guy that's been preaching from the word of God and knows that God works on his timing and that all things work together for good for them that follow the Lord, that stay in his word. For us that believe and have faith, all things work together for good. If I didn't believe that with this situation with my oldest son's mom, I mean, it would have been done for me a long time ago. But God has plans for me. He's got things that are going on in his head. And that's okay with me because I like it. I also like the effect. I know this is sounds a little odd, but... I like the idea that Satan is nervous enough that he keeps coming at me and trying to take me out. Oh, oh yeah, he does. He tries to get me to quit. He tries to get me to give up. But I won't do that because God's love is greater than his diversions. That white noise interference. Anyway, back to what was starting. That... We have organizations in this world, in this plane of existence that have certain, I don't, precepts are from God. I, I mean, in my mind's eye, um, God's precepts. And remember, I shared that with you, what that is. That's that we have specific actions and we have um, a certain way that we're supposed to act and conduct ourselves. And they're, they're different. You're going to say, well, wait a second. Isn't that the same thing? Well, no, it's not. It's not. The commandment that God gives us is 
or directive is a rule of our action or conduct. Actions are things that we do um, outwardly that uh, interact with others and that uh, touch other people. Conduct is more within self and how we behave. So if others see us in that behavior, they know what we are. They know. And I've shared with you already, they will know that we are Christians by our love. This is something that was given by Jesus. And this is in John. And this is part of uh, the precepts, you might say. Or, yeah, it's, a, it's definitely perceptual. And it's not perceptual, it's preceptual. And that means this is what we are told to do. It's not from our point of view, which would be perceptual. This is preceptual, which means that we're told to do it this way. And that way is that Jesus is our... conduit from God. He pours it out into us so that we pour it out on others. And this is his love, not that love or peace that we get from the world because that's not truth. The truth of peace and love comes through Jesus, anointed of God, our Christ. So these things are an important thing that we do. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you and that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have loved one to another. They will know that we are Christians by our love. Not because we walk around with a little label taped on our forehead saying, I'm a Christian, or because we say so. Oh, are you a Christian? Oh, yes. Yes, I go to church every Sunday. Yeah, but are you reading the Bible? Are you going to prayer meetings? Are you doing, you know, sometimes we have schedules that don't allow certain things, but staying in the word and staying in prayer and sharing the gospel is very important. They go, oh, wow. Do you have some place where we can meet for a prayer meeting or, you know, some Bible study? Oh, well, I don't do that. But I'm a Christian, but I don't do that. Wow, really? Hmm. And then they see you in the grocery store having a heated argument with somebody because you think that they cut in the clerk line. Oh, goodness gracious, yes. They will know we are Christians. This is the perceptual that I'm talking about. By our conduct and our action, they will know that we are Christians. So the shepherd 
our good shepherd, Jesus, in a way he branded us because we are members of his flock. And that brand mark that he gave us was love. And everyone will be able to know that we are Christians by our love. And the love that Jesus is talking about is quite specific. Quite specific. It's not just trying to love as mammon does because that's, that's a fake love. And we get that, oh, well, I don't love you anymore because you did this or I don't love you anymore because you did that. How am I supposed to love you because you this and you that? Goodness gracious. We walk into that. Even when you're trying very hard not to, you walk into it. I walked into that. I took what my fellow Marines were telling me over what I should have been doing. Should have been walking in it. But here's the thing. I can't live in what I should have and could have. See, that's where Satan wants to take me. He wants to drag me down and keep me bound up by that. I can't be. I have forgiveness. I have love. And I have God's love, God's forgiveness. And not only that, but I have the forgiveness of my oldest son's mother, which is, <laughs> that's huge. That's huge. And I thank God for that. I thank God for her heart. I thank God for her, her love. And, and sadly, I'm going to share this with you. And, and I would ask your prayers for strength is that, um, her father passed away a couple weeks ago, my grandchildren's great-grandpa, a very, oh, what a kind man, what a compassionate man, what a loving man. This man had God's love, definitely, as Jesus talked about. And here's a special brand mark and a specific kind of love that Jesus is talking about. That you love one another as I have loved you. It's a very specific kind of love, and it has a very specific brand mark. Um, you know, you have products out here in the world now. They have a trademark, so they have a certain branding, um, a, a logo, as you will. That's our logo. It's a very specific logo. And what is that? Jesus talked about it later on. We're talking about agape love, unconditional love that we are supposed to share one with another. That is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to share that one with another. His love, his agape love. Perspectives are a good thing. And perspectives of being like-mindedness in that direction of discipleship. And that Jesus is our teacher, rabbi, master, as they used to call him in the Bible. He is our Lord, he is our teacher the Holy Spirit that he promised to send when he left. And it is here to guide our steps. 
And the thing that Jesus has told us that we sh- that we need to do when we go out teaching and sharing the word is that we need to draw people so that they too would walk in discipleship. That they too would share the word. That it goes and it goes and it goes. Being like-minded together. And you know, we need to look at at something here that's, that's important because it's important because it's all relative. You have the word disciple and you have the word discipline. And this is important because it takes discipline to be a disciple, to do things a certain way, to be a right way, to be like-minded, to be of one mind, to be of one character. That takes discipline. And I'm going to use the Marine Corps as an analogy. Because here you have, and I remember that we were the, um, the platoon that I was in when I first went in. We were what you would call the Heinz 57. We had gangsters, we had runaways, we had folks from all over this country. And then you had other platoons that were all state. Meaning that everyone in that platoon came from one state. We had one that was chasing us hard and it came after us because they were all state and all, 90% of them went to the same high school. And the competition was heated. We had an all-sergeant drill team, which is unheard of in the Marine Corps. They were the first ones. But all-sergeant means that every single one of them, even the senior drill instructor, was a sergeant. Not a staff sergeant, not a gunnery sergeant. He was a sergeant. And his associates were also all sergeants. Usually in the Marine Corps, they will have a group of sergeants that are teachers, instructors, and then you have a senior drill instructor who is a staff sergeant or even a gunnery sergeant. Ours was all sergeants. Well, those sergeants, once they weeded out those that were not like-minded and just wanted to run away and go home, which some jumped over the fence and did leave, Which is silly because back in that time, they would look for you, bring you, and you'd go to jail. Back in those days. It was called AWOL, absent without leave. So, jump fast forward to this. We became the honor platoon. We were our drill team's eighth honor platoon in a row. In a row which means that we took first place in our range qualification. We took first place in final drill. We took first place in our final inspections, which means that our uniforms were impeccable. Our shooting was just dead on. Our marching expertise was right exactly how it should be. We did every move as one person. 
Yeah, I'm bragging a little bit. But you understand that this is what we're talking about here. Paul talks about being like-minded so that we move and we're coordinated and we operate as one. And as we share discipleship that Jesus told us to go out and do, which is what James was sharing here, is that we are to be making disciples, being of like-minded characteristically that as Jesus, our teacher, the love that he gave to us. That is the way our love should be with others. Our kindness and compassion modeled after Jesus, our exemplary example. He showed us how to do it, teaching us how to do it, not just telling us how to do it, but showing us how to do it. This is the other thing that they used to... uh, (laughs) It's kind of funny because in boot camp, it was, you do as I say, not as I do. Okay, but then later on, once you became part of the Fleet Marine Force and you became an example and you became that thing that they were training you to become, then it was, the leadership was by example. You show the youngers how to be because you are an example, a shining example to show them how they can be a Marine. And when you were in charge of a group of Marines, that's how you did it, by example. Jesus was probably a finest example of Marine that there could be. Yeah, okay, some of you might be offended by that statement, but that's just a shame because it's a whimsical analogy. I'll go that way every now and then. But explaining it, he was an example. You do it because I'm showing you how to do it. This is how you do it. When he washed their feet and then Peter said, oh, no, no, master, you can't do that. He said, if you don't wash, allow me to wash your feet. He said, you have no place with me. He said, this is what I must do. You in turn must do it and share it. Peter was constantly trying to rebuked Jesus from having him to do what he came to do. He got put in his place a few times for it and ultimately became the cornerstone of Jesus' church and still made a few errors. But the thing of it is that he turned and came. He was always, Peter was stumbling in the correct direction. He didn't fall backwards and then stay down. He stumbled, he fell forward, but he got back up, repented and make me stronger And the Lord did. So, let us do this by example. We need to emulate that thing that Jesus gave to us. Not only gave to us, but showed us how to do it. What a fine teacher, lover that he is of our hearts. He knows, and he gives us this thing. This, the difference in love that he was talking to Peter about, the reason he asked Peter three times is because, yes, some people will say that because Peter denied him three times, but I think what he was also trying to get across to Peter when he met them on the seashore and he prepared them a meal, he was trying to get them to understand 
that there are different loves. He was trying to get him to grasp onto the agape love. You have filial love, which is brotherly love. You're in a family. You love your brother, but you're busting each other's chops all the time. And maybe even get physical and wrestle and fight and get angry with one another. That's brotherly love and or sisterly love. Yeah, you can go that direction too. And then you have eros. Eros is being the love between a man and a woman, husband and wife. But the import is the agape love that he brings. And the truth from the word is that we cannot love that way. Mammon just cannot do it. Someone may claim to love unconditionally. And I almost hesitate to say it, but I'm going to say it. That's a lie. Because they, they can't do it. You have those that have a decent relationship. But the reality of it is, is that unconditional love. And if they do share an unconditional love, that's because it comes from God. It's not coming from them. And that's the only way that we can share that love is that it comes from God. Mammon does not have that capability. Sadly, it just does not. It has to be fed. And we don't feed that way. Well, she said she didn't love me anymore, so I'm going to go out and find a new girlfriend. And then, of course, you have those ridiculous individuals that have open relationships, open marriages. What does that mean? Why do you even get married? Why did you even marry the person? You have an open marriage, meaning that she can go sleep with whoever she wants and the husband can sleep with whoever he wants or go out whenever he wants with somebody else. That's... That doesn't fall into any of the three categories of love. That's just disgusting love, and that just comes straight from the devil. That's neither, that's just, that might be in the Eros relationship somewhere, but that's just physicality. That's got nothing to do with sharing of a heart or anything else. That's just physical love, and it's not even really love. That's just pure physicality. Whoosh. <laughs> but this is the way that the world has become. You have unnatural love. You have open, open relationships. But the sad part about that is that there are individuals that are claiming that, that are in a certain portion of the society. Uh, dare I call it Hippocrawood? Yes, I will. Um, Hippocrawood claims that sort of thing. And has claimed that sort of thing for many years. And people lean to that direction. They go that way to these. And I, why do they even call them celebrities? I don't get that. They're just somebody who does something else who gets paid a whole lot of money for doing something that. Huh. I. Some of them aren't even good at it, but they just get paid a lot of money because they fell in their agent as good. 
And now all of a sudden, they're geological experts, they're social science experts, they're political science experts, um, by virtue of the fact that they work in this place and get paid a whole lot of money for doing very little. And they have a whole lot of stuff. So now their word is so important and they can belittle, degrade, and dismiss politicians who have been doing that sort of thing for decades. And there are groups of individuals that think that now they're experts and they read from a script that is written and given to them to read from and then they want to declare themselves as being these something greater than what they are. Brothers and sisters, we have to follow truth. I call it hypocrite for a reason, because they, it is full of hypocrisy. Claiming one thing and doing something else and leading many astray by false testimony in everything. My goodness gracious. Um, and then... <laughs> Even when their relationships fall apart, that becomes a great big news deal. We put our focus on mammon and we take our focus away from God. Satan loves that. Satan loves that. It takes discipline not being beaten up and whipped to get you to do discipline. The greatest musicians in the world practice and practiced and practiced. And even the great bands that are have been around for such a long time, they still have practice sessions. They practice. And it takes discipline for them to get together and practice. Ah, uh, you know what? I'm going to go out and shoot some pool this uh, Saturday. I, I'm, I don't have time to practice. Excuse me, if that was the continuum, then how long do you think that that person would stay a member of the band? Well, they like what he did, but or she did, but don't like the idea that they felt themselves too important to come and practice to be like-minded with the rest of the group. It takes discipline. It takes discipline to meditate. It takes discipline to be in the Word of God. It takes discipline to uh, share the Word of God rather than doing what you want to do, rather than sitting back in your little tomb with a stone rolled over the doorway and saying, well, I, I can't go out there and do that because they're going to make fun of me. I have a speech impediment. I can't do this because of that. I can't do this because I'm overweight. I can't do this because they're going to make fun of me. Well, excuse me. Moses put a litany of excuses out First, he started talking to the angel at the burning bush, and then God made his presence available there in the burning bush, and, and Moses tried to use every excuse he had. And then God, of course, came up and said, hey, Moses, here's the deal. Here's how this is going to work. Aaron's going to go with you because he is eloquent of speech. You don't even have to say, you tell Aaron what I tell you, and it better be word for word, or I'm going to whoop on you in my godly fashion. He says, you tell Aaron what I tell you, and he will say it. And you do the handling of the staff and, and all that stuff. You do that, and that way, with your speech impediment, that you don't have to speak. There, it's fixed. We tend to have 
let me rephrase that because I don't do that. I'm going to rephrase that and say those that have that issue will lay out an excuse to God every single time that they are called to go do something and they're going to lay out a whole row of excuses and then they're going to go back into their little hovel they're going to retreat back into that little cave. They're going to pull the stone over the doorway and they're going to lift that handle up or push the button. And then the footrest is going to come up on the chair and that's where they stay. And there are those that do that. They won't go out and they won't share the gospel. They don't share the gospel. They don't share anything at all about the word of God. They don't share about the service that they was really good service. Sunday, James, excellent job. I love this thing here. And he's sharing to go out the story that we find ourselves in. And in particular with our church, and I like it, see a um, little historical fact about Antioch. Antioch was the first mission church back in the day, back in the day, way back there. Antioch Church was from a little town called Antioch, and it was the first missionary church. And those disciples that went out from that church were on a mission field, and they went out and they stayed in certain areas, and they were missionaries to that area, and they taught and they seated churches, and they did all those things. Well, this is what our church also does. It goes out into the mission field, and they seed churches and things like that, and I like it. I like the fact that I get a part to that. I like the fact that I get to share in, in uh, financing that through my tithing and doing what God has instructed. So there are those, however, sadly, that will not take part. That their complaint about the tithing that we are instructed to do and one of the precepts that we are supposed to follow, and they won't. Well, that's just a church trying to get, and this is a church trying to get. Well, how do you think that they finance the missions and the young people that go to the mission fields and go out to disciple the word of God? Yeah, this church supports them. And that support comes from our tithing to God that we give back to God. It's his anyway. Where do you think you got it from? Oh, I made that. I did. I did. I did. I did. I did. Oh, wow. Look who's right smack in the middle of all of your activity. You. Not God, not Jesus, but you. I did this, I got my job, I did this, I did that, I did that. I, it's my savings, my this and my that. You know that at the snap of a finger that God could take that straight away from you? That it's yours only because it's being allowed and it came from God anyway, but yet it's all about you. The missions need support. They need the help. When Jesus sent his disciples out, he said, don't take any script, don't take any cloak and all that. When the, when the city welcomes you in and they keep you there, you stay as long as they're able to take care of you. And if they don't, then you just stomp the dust from your feet and you walk away. They encountered some like that, but they encountered some that really wanted to hear the word of God and the truth. And they brought them in and they kept them there for days at a time. And they shared the word of God. They shared the truth. And this is, brings me to this point. That discipleship, discipline, is that we need to emulate Jesus. We need to fashion our lives to be more like him. 
Mammon speaks of investments, but when Mammon speaks of it, it's investment in money, the monetary, the thing that they have allowed to become their God. The money says, in God we trust. Our forefathers wanted to remind us of where it came from and how we started, that God blessed this country. And then people have put in, what is that? Where is your trust? Is it in our Heavenly Father or in that monetary? Sadly, many are invested in the monetary, but they're not willing to invest any time to share the word of God or to invest their time in his way or his word of truth. And you have to understand something, as, as James was sharing this, there, there's a return on this. There, yeah, depending on if you uh, invest properly, you could have a decent return monetarily with proper guidance and a proper investment there. But when you invest in time to share with God and others about the word of God, the return will always be manifest and always be increased. of his truth and his word. And you remember that God actually tells us that when he puts his word out, it doesn't come back a waste. But here's the thing too, that white noise interference comes from the enemy. And he uses it frequently. But he's also very subtle, <coughs> pardon me, in the way that he does that. And he is a very subtle, cunning enemy. And you need to be aware of his subtlety. And you need to be aware that that white noise interference he gives, puts out there is... Totally derisive, but also very subtly applied. Sometimes he will even get us to believe that it's our thought and our idea to separate from truth. And he works hard at trying to influence our walk. But here's the thing that you must remember. I actually have a t-shirt of this, and I, I kind of like it. A little different uh, artistry on it, but um, there were those that stood that way. They were the samurai, the hebushiru. Having lived in Japan for a few years, I came to admire these individuals that they had a motto. I'm not sure how to say it in Japanese. I wish I could remember but it's been a long time. But stand for what's right, even if you stand alone. But let me add to that. Add a paraphrase. Stand for what is right, even if you stand alone. But remember this, that you never stand alone. That God is with me whithersoever I go. So I'm never alone. David was not alone when he faced Goliath, but he was alone physically. 
because none of the other Israelites went up. They were all afraid of this giant who was over nine feet tall. David had God with him and God took him by the hand and they ran to meet the giant. He slew the giant with a single stone right between the eyes above the brow and the nose and it took him down. And then David ran out, small, young, teenage man, boy, took his sword and cut his head off. And then, of course, the army of Israel then came and ran out and chased off the other Philistines. The investment is important, and unlike mammon, that don't ever seem to have time for anyone or anything, Jesus always made time, always made time made himself available. This is part of the reason that um, he spent so many time, so much time with uh, those that everybody else looked away from. You had the Pharisees, you had the Levites, you had those people. Even when, even the road and the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan, as time, they didn't have time to check on this person who was a Jew, assaulted, but the high priest didn't want to touch him because then he'd be dirty. Well, Levi shouldn't want to touch him because then they'd be dirty. Oh my gosh, really? This was one of your ilk, but you couldn't possibly take time to tend to him. And yet a Samaritan came along and took care of him. Took him to a hotel, paid for it, told the innkeeper, said, hey, if there's more that's needed to be paid for, you know that I will settle when I come back but here's what I have for now. It should cover everything. But if you decide that there's more needed, I'll take care of you. The innkeeper acquiesced to that because he knew that this man was true to his word. Knew that he was true to his word. Unlike the high priests and the others who were not true to their word. And this is what Jesus told him straight up in front of him. He said, you would know the truth if it came and bit you. He said, you speak not the truth because you speak the language of your father who is the devil they spoke lies all the time and they didn't recognize the truth that jesus spoke because he was the word of truth he was the word come from god because he was with god from the beginning and he still is with god and he's coming back for us as his word tells us but they didn't recognize it because it's truth and they don't speak truth So, James also shared with us Jesus always made time. He made himself readily available to whoever. And this is what he did often with uh, craftspeople, people that were. And as he shared with them too, he said, and when they said, why do you go do this? Why do you spend time with them? Why do you go over here? What are you, well, how come you're not hanging out with us? Jesus just looked at him and he said, because the sick need the physician. You claim not to need the physician, so what good would it be for me to be with you because you claim you don't need it and you refuse to believe that you need it and you refute the truth anyway. So this is the issue that Jesus had was because they continually refused 
and they ignored the fact that they didn't need it, and they wouldn't listen to him anyway, just like when he went to Nazareth. He did that because of the compassion that he had for his earthly mother, and he went and did that. But what did they do? They kept talking about, oh, we know your brothers and sisters. We know your family. We know your father is that carpenter. You're that carpenter's son. We know who you are. We know your mother. We know your family. What authority do you speak with? You're a carpenter's kid. Oh, my gosh. Even in the village of craftsmen, they belittled a craftsman's family. And they wouldn't listen to Jesus. So he did very little there. He healed a few people, and then he left. Why? Because they showed no faith. This is why he didn't hang out with the Pharisees, because they had no faith. They wouldn't believe what he shared. They wanted to continue to argue with what he had. And when the woman came with the alabaster box and she broke the vial and anointed Jesus' feet, and Jesus had to rebuke Simon, different Simon. He rebuked Simon. He said, hey, I know her heart. I know where it comes. That's why she's invited in. I came here and you offered me no basin to wash my feet. You offered me no anointing. She came in, she anointed my feet, and she attended to my needs from the, from the walk. You offered me nothing, and you're the head of the house. Don't tell me not to accept her coming in, and she wants to hear what I have to say, my truth. You rebuked my truth. You ignored my truth. You ignored me. She honored me. So how dare you tell me and say, what right has she got to be here? She's got more right to be here than you do. He did. Of course, I'm paraphrasing what Jesus would have said and how he did say it. And he may have even said that, but it's not in the scripture that way. The translation is different and that's okay. But I suspect that Jesus may have said a little bit more to him, maybe privily so that he didn't totally embarrass the guy because this is how Jesus was. When they warranted, he'd just tell them straight out, just like he did with the Sanhedrin. When they were all amongst themselves, he spoke openly like that. But you notice if you go through the scripture that when they were in a mixed company, Jesus was very astute to that, and he didn't. But when they were amongst themselves, Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and their little judgmental group, he told them straight up, just like John the Baptist did, and they didn't like that. They didn't like being compared to vipers. Brothers and sisters, James shared something, and this is good. I like this. This is a sign of a good, healthy church. Me and Jesus relationship with Jesus, abiding with the Lord, which is what he asks us to do, to abide with him, spend time with him, not just to hang out and have a cup of tea and, you know, hey, Jesus, thanks for this day. You abide with him, you stay in the word, you prayer, you share the word, <clears throat> you go out in discipleship and you, you share that. And then we gather. <clears throat> Pardon me. I'm going to jump back over here to Hebrews. I'm going to share that word because it's an important word. I believe it's in Hebrews 10. Oh, pardon me. My bookmarker came out. All right. That one's coming out too. Oh, come on. So we're going to go over here to... Lost it again, Sorry.
Ah, here it is, 1024. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Interesting how that comes up again. And provoke isn't like you poke with a stick and you you uh, agitate somebody to provoking um, the way the translation is and the way the old English speaks to this is that you you get somebody stirred up and excited about it. You and then they feel like, man, I got to go do this. I have to be like that. Provoke them unto love and good works, which Jesus shared with us. Share my love, not with the love of man, because mammon doesn't know how to do it. Got to do it with my love. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So there are many that don't want to gather and they don't want to be together. That's not a healthy church. So, first relationship is me and the Lord, and next is gathering. And then we want to abide in the house of the Lord. We want to spend time with Him. We want to worship Him. We want to pray to Him and with others to Him. And we want to have a church that gathers in their groups of prayer meetings and such together in in smaller groups and share the word. And we want to have missions. We want to have a mission. And I like the fact that we have a mission I would like to Honestly, I'd like to be in a position. God can still make that happen. It can still happen. He's blessed me greatly with allowing things in my life. Um, I'm still working right now. Consequently, I don't have because of my working schedule. But God can make things happen. He showed me too many times that he can. So these are our signs for a healthy church, that we should be in that church, that we should be doing these things in discipleship abiding with the Lord and sharing his word with others. You're in my prayers. Am I going out? Am I coming in? I share that with you all the time. That's my, that's my daily routine. It's what I do. You're in my prayers for my brothers and sisters and those that have not decided as yet to be that thing. Read through Romans 8. That's my adoption letter. So come on in and see what you have to say. Have a great day.